Good morning. It's time for Awaken with Dr. Joe and Mark Hullcraft. Awaken airs the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 7 a.m. Central with the executive director of Real Presence Radio, Mark Hullcraft, and his brother, Dr. Joe Hullcraft, professor and director of the High Calling Program at the Avila Institute. Together with a mix of national and local personalities, connecting examples in church history, contemporary relevance, and lively witness of the saints, Mark and Joe will share how the Holy Spirit is working to awaken in all of us a deeper sense of what we are made for, a life in Christ. To awaken on this Wednesday morning, November 9th. Uh, we're excited to be with you. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Holcraft, joined with Dr. Joe Holcraft. Good morning, Dr. Joe. Great to be with you, brother, as always. Thank you. Great to be with you, too. Um, I'm excited today in, in uh, a couple of ways. One, we're actually, we are veering from some of the questions of Jesus that we've been doing for the last, gosh, six months, Joe, um, and diving into uh, a new two-part series um, and this two-part series is actually going to bring close to uh, the the Awaken program on Real Presence Radio. And I'm going to share a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But before we dive deeper into the main point of uh, today and the next Awaken program's two-part series, why don't we begin with prayer? Huh, Joe? And Joe, would you mind leading that for us? Of course, of course. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Good and gracious God, we just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of this morning, the gift of this day in which to praise you. We ask that you would send your grace into our hearts, that you flood our hearts with your your grace and your goodness. And certainly, Lord, as Mark and I reflect upon this most important topic, that is how you reveal yourself in the Eucharist, we ask that you illumine our minds and open our hearts and that all those who might be listening would receive uh, what we have to share in your goodness. We pray all these things through your most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Um, well, this is just a quick shout out to our listeners. Um, in regards to this last two-part series, what's behind that? Well, essentially, Joe and I felt certainly compelled and called to want to spend some time uh, with the Eucharistic revival, in and that our last program two weeks ago, we dis- discussed specifically from Matthew sixteen the question that Jesus poses to his apostles: "Who do you say that I am? Who do who do who do the people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am?" And just making it personal. And and in regards to these last two programs of um, Awaken, wanted to dig into the Eucharistic revival, but a little bit behind. Just the discernment, Joe, and um, I say Joe as if it's your discernment. I mean, you and I talked, but I know it's one that I brought to you and just really feeling compelled to um, one of my my main role here for Real Presence Radio, of course, is to serve as the executive director. And um, just as I've taken the prayer awake and just re- really feeling compelled to engage, like, okay, I need to engage uh, more fully what I think the Lord is calling me to be. Uh, to be more present to some of those task responsibilities. Uh, so it's been awesome to do Awaken with you, Joe, and it, it's been a blessing for Real Presence Radio having you uh, with us because I know there's you're a busy dude, brother. You're a busy dude with <laughs> uh, Avalon yeah. Institute. Um, but it seems the Lord 
is uh, calling me, I think, into something uh, a little deeper with Real Presence Radio. Um, and what were you going to say, Joe? Oh, just market has also been my joy, but inside that joy is is the be the opportunity to be able to reflect into uh, sacred scripture and to do that with you. Certainly, any time you enter into any kind of ministry, Mark, uh, and and you know this a hundredfold, it always gives back, right? And that's just the nature of of love itself, right? For and sure. The, the divine logic of love in many ways, as John Paul II would talk about, the, the divine law of gift, you know, what you give away essentially is returned to you um, exponentially more. And uh, certainly that has been the case with this program. Well, and, and certainly part of this program, we've had regular conversation about the sermon, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and so... Um, and, and you've known this too, Joe, and I think for many of our listeners engaged and involved in ministry, uh, sometimes the ministries we are called to have their seasons. And so um, the bigger picture for me in Serving Well Presence Radio is to engage that um, and to trust that the season uh, for Awaken for now, the Lord is bringing it to a close. And on and, um, one hand, that's a little bit hard for me, but at the same time, there's just grace and obedience and I surrender that to the Lord and I've already, Amen. you know, we've already experienced, I've already experienced just a consolation in that alone. Yeah. Um, Amen. So that being said, um, a two part series, Eucharistic revival, we've discussed it so much on real presence radio and EWTN radio has had so much content about the Eucharistic revival. And certainly one of the unique aspects that I feel our network is so blessed with between Minnesota, North South Dakota, Wyoming, and Wisconsin. And Joe, those are where our signals are. Um, I said that kind of fast. <laughs> I guess I'm kind of used to that. Um, but we also know, Joe, we have some listeners that tune in from Montana, Iowa, and Canada. Um, and what a gift that is. I hope it's a gift for them. I trust it's a gift for them. Um, so within that Real Presence Radio Network, um, we're, we're definitely, uh, we've had so much in regards to the Eucharistic revival. So some of my hopes here is like, why are we doing it again with Awaken? And what might I hope in this experience, in our conversation? I think it's been, well, Joe, similar to my hope with every program that you and I have been doing, is to offer maybe a unique insight, something that stirs in, in the hearts of people, which is what we're always going to hope for. Um, but I think just to try to dig in a little bit into some some of the, the scripture and the depth and the why, like, why now? You know, if there is an imperative thought to this morning's program, Joe, uh, it might center around that. Why now? Um, but with so many of our programs uh, for Awaken, we like to open up with Scripture to give a little mm-hmm. context. And yeah. uh, the main Scripture that we're going to dive into this morning is from the Gospel of, uh, of John, chapter 6, verse 51. Um. And one of the things within verse 51, this this is within the whole Bread of Life discourse, very well-known uh, scripture passage that gives us really the core of our Eucharistic theology, you know, and, and it's, it's one of the keys to our Eucharistic theology. So this Bread of Life discourse, but taken from chapter 6, verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. 
And I'm going to read that again, Joe. It's just the one verse, so it's a little bit longer for one verse. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Huh. Joe, I'd like to dig into the context of that, and I know that's that's layers, that's layer, that's layers to it. Yeah. Um, but I, I want I want to open that door for you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, as you just said, Mark, what we're dealing with here is is the bread of life discourse, and maybe go into verse 51 and then allow that verse to kind of expand out, if you will, because certainly what takes place in this verse, at least in in the Greek translation of the New Testament, is very, very significant to, to every Catholic, right? So in verse 51... Uh, you have this language that that really points to this very real thing that is Jesus Christ speaking differently. But as we speak to verse 51, Mark, um, really, I I think as I look at this and and I listen to you, I think it would be good to take it at least for now, all the way to 54. Yeah. Um, and so actually, sure. Mark, can you go ahead and read verses 51 to 54? Yeah. Yeah. And and this is part of what I want to do, Joe. This is what we've been talking about with every program is um, to dig into a little bit of context. You know, one of the things I've appreciated just with this program, Joe, certainly your ability to dig into the scriptural context and the insights that you bring and echo of the different saints and theologians, and I do my best to offer what I can to that mix. Um, sure. But very much within that, at the heart of what we want to share with our listeners is when it comes to Scripture, always dig into the context and just yeah. allow the Lord uh, to lift up to lift up what He wants to lift up in us, but to have that proper context is so key. So we'll start with verse 51 and go through 54. So again, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him on the last day. Amen. So the reason why I wanted you to go through 54, Mark, is because we have a shift in the Greek being used. So um, in John chapter 6, 54, the Greek word for eats is trogo. It's a verb meaning to chew or to gnaw. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's even this sense, Mark, of chewing, gnawing, and thinking about what you're chewing on and nine on this is reflected going all the way back to the old testament passover when when the boy receives the the, the flesh of the lamb and he's eating the flesh of the lamb he's made to ask the question you know what is the meaning of this moment or what is the meaning of this night right so to chew and to not this greek verb trogo it is used five times in the gospel of john and only once uh, elsewhere in the new testament uh, Greek literature used it to describe the feedings of animals, uh, such as mules, pigs, and cattle. Um, so in John, 
the verb is used four times in the second half of the Bread of Life discourse. John chapter 6, uh, verse 54, which you just read, and then subsequently in verse 56, verse 57, verse 58. Mark, for our listeners, what we uh, need to understand is that this marks a, notice, a noticeable shift in our Lord's teaching, right? Which up until verse 54 made use of a more common verb for eating, which is estheo. So what you didn't read in verse 649, uh, chapter 6, verse 49 and 50, but you did in 51 and 53 is this estheo. So when you in 51 and 53 read the word eats, that Greek translates as estheo. And this is the more, again, the verb used for the more common form of eating. So the change mark in vocabulary marks a change of focus, if you will, right? And an emphasis from the message of faith in the consumption of the Eucharist. And this mark is a, a graphic and all but almost crude yeah, to, yeah. To, to, the, to, to the ears that were first hearing it. What are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying to eat what? You know, something different is going on now. Now, remember, you just use the word context, and yes, we've talked about it a great deal, Mark. The context of John chapter 6 and the whole Bread of Life discourse is the Passover, right? Well, John has already set up for us in this gospel this great theme that Jesus is what but the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, St. John the Baptist, sees Jesus coming over the hill, and what does he first say? Behold the Lamb of God. Again and again, the Lamb of God, Jesus as the Lamb of God, becomes this, this theme. And what Jesus is uh, doing for us here is letting us know that he is the Lamb of God, and we are called to just not eat his flesh, but to chew on it, to gnaw on it. And to ask Mark the question, what is the meaning of this moment? Certainly the Jews were. What is this murmuring? No, a lot of people will come up to me, Mark, and say, well, how do you know that Jesus is not talking symbolically? Or, or how do you know that Jesus is, in fact, saying that you actually have to eat his flesh? I, I don't get it. I don't know if I see it in this text. Well, you do have to look closer, but when you, when you do, it's, it's right there. First of all, the Jews are, are murmuring. I mean, this is barbaric imagery to them, right? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? What is he talking about? And if we needed any more evidence, consider the, the reaction of, of those who were there. Five those, minutes. His closest followers, Mark. I mean, what did Jesus say? I mean, after they hear this, many of the disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. If this was something that was merely symbolic, why would the disciples, those who... who ate with him, saw his miracles, slept by his side. Why would they draw back suddenly? Well, because of the radical nature of what he was saying. But this is the great invitation. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will have life everlasting. And so as we reflect upon this gospel, Mark, noticeably, <laughs> considering the Greek translation here and the movement away from the estheo to uh, the the trogo, right? Uh, incidentally, Mark, 
the Greek plural for drogo implies constant consumption. Isn't that interesting? I mean, so truly, this is an eternal banquet. And I believe that to be really important when you start to think about, of course, not only this passage, but elsewhere where Jesus talks about uh, the eternal banquet for, for all eternity. And Joe, as we dig into the context, um, because it's the bigger picture, and this is certainly part of what we want to dig into in regards to the Eucharistic revival. Um, it's it. I think sometimes it can fall on, I don't want to say deaf ears, Joe, uh, but ears that are going through the motion because there's a certain sense, well, those who are going to be catching on to this are those who are already going to Mass and are already consistently present, like why this you know this wouldn't necessarily be for them like wouldn't this be for those who aren't going to mass so why are we talking about it where the people already are when in actuality um we are all called to dig in to a deeper awareness the life of the eucharist you know one of the points of emphasis within this eucharistic revival is to reacquaint ourselves with our eucharistic theology the eucharistic theology of the catholic faith and and that's what we're, what you're digging into, and what we want to share a little bit is the context of the bigger picture. This is nothing new. This is what the Catholic Church has always taught, and the early Church Fathers speak to it beautifully and profoundly, um, especially in those first few centuries when there's such a dynamic witness. But I want, Joe, I want to before we go into our first break, just want to give a couple points of of. I guess, context to why the Eucharistic revival a little bit in the process. A lot of our listeners know, okay, this is going to be, it's a three-year experience. And it's really, it's kind of a three-year pilgrimage. And that the intent is because, and we'll dig into this a little bit more in the next segment, but the intent of this pilgrimage is because it is a call to conversion once again. You know, it's not that we're one and done with a conversion. Maybe many of us have had this profound effect and experience of that encounter of Jesus Christ where that effect changes us and maybe that is an initial profound conversion but it reminds us we are called to constant and continual conversion and we have to be continually converting if we are to be closer to Jesus if we are to imitate and be that true Christian that true that small Christ or that other Christ um first thing a year of diocesan revival and I actually found this encouraging the first year, so the first year of three years, the diocesan revival, it's to pray for our priests. That's what we can do. And this is what we are invited and called to, is to pray for our priests and bishops and diocesan staff to renew their love and trust in Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And so we're, we're thinking that between priests and bishops, well, they, they should already have that figured out. And while we, we, we hope that that's already a life they're living, um, I'm appreciating that. It's a great reminder, Joe, for us to be praying for our priests and bishops. Listen to what you just talked about in just breaking open the Greek translation, which allows us deeper insight into seconds. the heart of what Jesus is saying, and therefore in a deeper insight into the heart of God, right? Yeah. And so Amen. the year of diocesan revival, and then a year of parish revival, pray for our parishes and parishioners to renew their love and devotion to the Eucharist. So right now we're in year one. Year two will start in the summer of 23 uh, through 24. Ten seconds. And we'll be particular to year of parish revival. And then year three after 24, it'll be from the summer of 24 to 25, to be missionaries, disciples of the Eucharist, of the faith. 
Uh. It has to call us to a deeper conversion if we consider ourselves missionary. We're going to follow up with more of this conversation about the Eucharistic revival on the other side of the break. Stay with us on Awaken. Welcome back to Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. Now back to more lively, faith-filled conversation with Mark and Dr. Joe Hallcraft. Go ahead. Welcome back to Awaken. Uh, this beautiful morning, Joe and I are talking about the Eucharistic Revival, part one of two uh, for today's Awaken and next uh, the next episode two weeks from now. Um, and it's just a quick shout out to that next episode two weeks from now. That would be the last Awaken episode, but um, I find very fitting, Joe. It's the Wednesday morning before Thanksgiving Thursday, and here we are. We cap off Awaken, not least of which the Eucharistic Revival topic with Thanksgiving, and of course, the connection to the Eucharist, Eucharisto, thank, uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, so uh, God is good. God is good and faithful. What can you say? <laughs> um, but Joe, I want, I want to jump back to um, just this, this sense in question that I posed at the very beginning of our episode today, why now? And, and I think there's just a, a growing, and within culture and society, and in, and in some cases within the church, there's kind of been a growing restlessness. Uh, but certainly culture and society. And so this question of why now that I put out there, um, this isn't just a question for me. The The chair for the committee on the Eucharistic Revival is uh, a gentleman named Bishop Andrew Cousins, a bishop for the Diocese of Crookston. We are very blessed. It happens to be a diocese within the RPR Radio Network, Joe. Um, and this is, this is a question that he's been pretty adamant about asking and posing to his brother bishops and priests, why now? And this has been a key question for some holy conversation amongst uh, our presbyterate and episcopate, and that is why now. And one of the things I'm going to point to, uh, a great resource for our listeners, the website eucharisticrevival.org. Um, I know several dioceses, especially within within our own RPR network, have their own website, and they all those websites point to this particular website, but you can certainly find more information about the Eucharistic Revival, uh, the National Eucharistic Revival, uh, at eucharisticrevival.org. And you can also go, so right here, I'm in the Diocese of Fargo, Joe. The Diocese of Fargo certainly has their own website, um, the diocesan website, but then there's specific links that tie in um, all kinds of resources that they're making the most of to try to draw the faithful uh, within the Diocese of Fargo. And it's the same through every diocese. Without our throughout our um, our network, um, but I just make reference to that to that website eucharisticrevival.org, and that's where um, we start to see some of the fruits and the ongoing fruits of the conversation that the priests and the faithful are having. It's not just the priests and bishops, but they're engaging conversation with a lot of uh, a lot of men and women throughout their diocese. Um, so the why now part of it, Joe, it's. It's to address, and I appreciate kind of engaging the realism of this. The church needs healing, Joe. The church needs healing, but it doesn't just stop there. And I think that's where we want to, um, we can maybe get stuck is, well, the church needs healing. Oh, yeah, it does need healing because this, this, and that. If the church needs healing because the world needs the church. Yeah. And I think that's what really needs to be articulated is the church is the vessel that Jesus Christ is choosing to heal his people and the world. Yeah. 
And so the task given to the church has always been the task put upon our uh, mother church. And, in, and it's so, and I use that terminology because it is motherly. It is motherly in its her maternal role, in this case, to heal uh, the world. So the church needs healing, absolutely, and the world needs the church. And so one of the keys within the Eucharistic revival and the heart of the revival, Joe, I would say it's the call to conversion. And I'd like to spend this next segment talking about that a little bit, this call to conversion. Joe, why would the Eucharist be the heart of conversion? Well, think about the Eucharist itself, Mark, right? You go to Mass and what is taking place on the altar, but a transformation. So if we're going to have a conversation as as Christians and as Catholics about conversion, it has to include every time what takes place on the altar because what takes place on the altar is that transformation is that conversion if you will uh, you know the the host and, and the wine into the body blood soul and divinity of jesus christ that we might be more convicted in our faith because you asked the question mark why now and it's the great question that Bishop Cousins is offering really just not the country, but the world to think about is because Mm -hmm. simply (laughs) we are a culture that is lacking faith. And as we lack faith, we need to, as you said, reacquaint ourselves with what is essential to uh, the teachings of the Catholic church. So the Eucharist itself, as it's about transformation is the very thing at the core and foundation of our own transformation in Christ. Without Christ, how can we even begin to really claim any kind of authentic conversion? And we we have to be honest with ourselves, right? Um, <laughs> what was I just talking about in John chapter 6, right? I think it was verse 60, when the disciples, they, they heard what Jesus said, and they say, well, this is a hard saying. Who, who can listen to it? And, and Jesus, in response, you know, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured, right, said to, uh, to them, "What? but do you take offense at this, right? Do you take offense at this? Do you realize what I'm saying to you? And in this moment, Mark, each and every one of us as Christians and Catholics has to take ownership of our belief or lack thereof in the Eucharist. And understand that only by receiving him, as he himself said, right, will we actually have eternal life. Will we actually know the peace and joy of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's going to be trivial. It's going to be passing and we're going to be clutching an empty space. So to receive the very one who is being transformed and transformed on the altar for us is how we can begin to talk about our own transformations, our own conversions. You know, it's interesting to the why now question, Mark, certainly in recent years, uh, through these various uh, researches and and studies, through this different research and studies, we have uh, found that there is an increasing number of Catholics who are not believing in the true presence of Jesus Christ. And so we have to be honest with ourselves And that includes, Mark, you and I, every day. Where am I at in my faith? Exactly right. Am Mm -hmm. I embracing the teaching of Jesus Christ, 
who said unequivocally, if you do not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. And he said it again and again. And if that wasn't enough, he made sure that if there was any question, the people understand, as they were listening to him, that no, he didn't back off. He doubled down. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. Do we believe those words? And that's a question, again, Mark, for each and every one of us. In the last segment, you had made the point that, you know, maybe for those of us who have been faithful Catholics and go to Mass every Sunday, and maybe you're going to Mass more than just every Sunday, maybe it's every day, I reward you if you can do that. If you have the time to do it with your schedule, certainly uh, I think it's needed today. Mark, you were saying that maybe that, that, that Catholic doesn't have to hear this. But in reality, I will tell you that as I've gone into different parishes across the country, or if I give a keynote address at a conference, whatever it might be, and I talk about this, Catholics who go to Mass every day will come up to me and say, Dr. Holcroft, how did I not know that? Yeah. I mean, that's really, really important that the language that is being used is is changing and, and shifting so as to put an emphasis that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And if we are just not eating the flesh of the Lamb of God and, and drinking his blood, but really contemplating it, asking the question like they did at the Passover meal, what is the meaning of this night? Maybe we can ask, what is the meaning of this moment? If if we're not if we're not sinking ourselves into this truth, then whatever it is that we spend time with, you know, Mark, uh, one of, and, and this is, um, I think, something that is often ov- overlooked when we talk about conversion. Uh, what's the one thing that tends to get in the way of our conversions? Well, whatever Ourselves. that one thing is, <laughs> whatever that one thing is, it, and that one thing comes in, in many different forms, but it has one word tied to it, idolatry. Whatever we are spending too much time with, mea culpa, right? That's the one thing that's getting in the way of our conversion. What's the first thing you're thinking about when you wake up in the morning? What's the last thing you're thinking about when you go to bed? If you don't know what you're spending too much time with, answer those two questions. That probably is going to get you close to what you need to start working on, right? And so... If we can identify that one thing, or maybe it's a few things that are pulling us away from Jesus, we need to distance ourselves from that. Slow sure, make sure that we're doing what we've been talking about, Mark, for the past year and a half with respect to establishing a life of prayer, setting ourselves on the path of a more vibrant, robust, living relationship with Jesus Christ, that as we've said it before, it's just not about studying Jesus to know more about Jesus so that we can talk about him in the abstract or in the externals. No, enter into an intimate relationship with Jesus so that when you talk about Jesus, it's one that people see as, yes, real and alive, robust. But all of this, Mark, will not take place, that relationship we speak of now, if we don't take conversion seriously. And this is what has to happen if we are to renew our love and devotion 
to renew our, to renew our love and trust in Jesus Christ and to renew our love and devotion to the Eucharist, the only pathway forward in, in, you know, we just spent some time with Ralph Martin, uh, Dr. Ralph Martin with renewal ministries. He's been a speaker, uh, at our banquets and he'll be a speaker, like a keynote speaker for some of our future banquets for real presence radio through this coming, uh, late fall and winter. And in his most recent book, uh, the church in crisis pathways forward. I want to emphasize pathways forward because again, we have a tendency to, to, uh, to narrow down or just to get stuck at the church in crisis, or as I've said earlier, Joe, because the church needs healing. But in the experience of pathways forward, what's that path? Because the world needs the church, some of that, uh, the church needs healing or pathways forward. It is to renew our love, to renew our devotion, uh, to renew our trust in Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And this is part of what, what was so incredible, what Jesus is saying, and this is what you broke open in our first segment, Joe, is that in regards to the Eucharist, like to gnaw, to chew, to make real, it's his body, blood, soul, and divinity. It is his flesh for the life of the world. We, How do you renew that? Well, first, just to spend time with this, sit with it. Sit, not only sit with it in thought and prayer, but then sit with him. Uh, go to Jesus in the Holy Sacrament of the altar, in the Blessed Sacrament. If parishes are offering adoration, I know in particular within the Eucharistic Revival, several parishes throughout our network and beyond have been exposing the Blessed Sacrament for longer hours. Some parishes are expanding into doing perpetual adoration, uh, or maybe some are just doing it for the first time. And so if you're one of those parishes, maybe uh, you just do it on a Friday. Maybe your parish offers adoration just on Friday mornings or afternoon. Um, and it might even seem to be a rather, um, n- not the best time for you. I would just encourage, uh, take that time to just sit with him. And not only to sit with him, and then to ponder with him about him, the word made flesh. And allow the Lord to sink in. Allow these these. Uh, not just key phrases, scriptural passages, but really the heart of our faith to sink in, sit with it. The Lord wants to renew it, you know, and that's where we, to dive into that conversion, Joe, digging into just the context of the word. You know, the heart of the revival is conversion, that we would in turn become more like Christ, to become another Christ. You know, Joe, I think we've mentioned this, this quote before, I think it's from Tertullian. See those Christians, how they love one another. Uh, you and I have discussed this briefly. But it's such a profound uh, quote for me because even I just recently, just I think it was this last weekend, our priest referenced the song. And I think we all know the song. They'll know they are Christians by our love. They'll know we are Christians by our love. You know, And it, it, what's easy to do is to like, oh, like, that's a classic 70s church hymn. You know, yeah. and it's but it's a little bit more upbeat, and so we get oh, we kind of laugh it off, like oh my gosh, I remember that. Yep, several of the seventy songs or eighty songs, and we let it just sit. Um, but if we go into the context, I, I think this is maybe even a small example of the Lord wants to renew our devotion, renew our love, renew our trust, and part of that it's exactly what you were talking about a few moments ago, Joe. It's digging into some of those layers. The question people come with: How did I not ever know this? Or something I hear often, Joe, from people is, I wish I would have heard this when I was younger. 
yeah. The truth be told, yeah. what I'm learning, Joe, is while some maybe were never, they, they did not hear it when they were younger, some did hear it when they were younger. They just didn't have the ears to hear. They either yeah. weren't ready, they weren't paying attention, you know, whatever the context is, because um, I'm starting to hear that again. You know, when I did youth ministry for 20 plus years, I heard that from parents all the time. You know, I can't believe like this is what the church taught. I'm so thankful my kids are hearing this. I never heard that. And then I'm I'm getting to the age where I'm hearing parents who were teenagers when I was a youth minister saying, I don't remember hearing that. And I can think to myself, but I know you did. <laughs> but that disposition of heart matters, yeah. you know, and I and I, that's part of what we need to call to a deeper conversion. The disposition, how do we make ourselves available? Just putting ourselves in front of the Lord, before the Lord, to just let him speak to our hearts. Um, and so when we dig into that that call to One conversion, uh, this is a couple of practical ways I think that we can do that is whether it's spending time in his word, reading scripture, uh, in particular to read John chapter 6, um, and then just to ask the Lord, Lord, help renew my trust in you. Help mm. to heal those areas that have been hardened in my heart or that have been hurt, that now have created blockades that I can't even see you or know you. Help heal those. And then true, pray. You know, I mentioned the first year to pray for our seconds. bishops and priests and diocesan staff. Well, our priests and bishops need that too. And what better way than their sheep to be praying for their shepherds? And I think that's um, something that is very powerful, very powerful for our priests to hear. Our priests do not Ten grow seconds. weary to hear us say to them, thank you, Father, for the homily. Hey, I'm praying for you. Thank oh, you, Bishop, for the homily. Hey, I'm praying for you. Ready and for so it. maybe we'll pick up on that piece when we come back. we got to jump to a break already. Um, we come back. Let's pick up on that, a little bit of that interaction with the priests and, and bishops, Joe. Stay with us on Awaken. Thanks for starting your day with us. Now, back to more Awaken, right here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Go ahead. Thank you for tuning in to Awaken this morning. I'm your host, Mark Holcraft, joined with Dr. Joe Holcraft. Uh, We are talking about the Eucharistic Revival. Uh, This is one of a two-part series. And what I'd like to, I want to come back where we left off before the break. And Joe, we were talking about our priests and bishops. And in year one, you know, one of the particular um, focuses, focus and emphasis is to pray for our priests and bishops and diocesan staff to renew their love and trust in Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And I just left on that, that thought of uh, what a gift it is. Like Our priests and bishops do not grow weary of us saying thank you to them, but also mm-hmm. letting them know that we're praying for them. I would dare say our priests and bishops do not hear that enough in what they and this is kind of, I think, it seems true of human nature. The negative voices seem to be louder. Um, and so I think when they hear that, um, <laughs> um, it, it, may, it may be the case that some of our priests and bishops might even be jaded. They might even be jaded that it takes a little while for them to actually hear that. And, mm-hmm. But we need to, we, I think we need to offer that, and we need to um, offer those, those consolations and comments and affirmations to them. Because uh, I think even sometimes as men, we don't always take well to affirmation. And I think that's an area that we can grow. Um, but Joe, I even over the break, I made mention, and I think it'd be worth, um, and, and I know you had a comment you want to follow up with. 
Uh, yeah. And maybe your comment, but I, I just wanted to follow up too. Like, what does that do for us as dads when we hear our children mm. offer something comment, you know, a comment like that to us? But first, Joe, please. Yeah. So just really going back to the the heart of this first year, Mark, and as you were talking about being a source of encouragement, one of the things that I've experienced over the last, I would say, four to six years, and certainly in my work as director of a program that that's direct, dealing directly with priests and men discerning the a call to the priesthood, so even more specifically, the last two and a half years, is that within the priesthood today, and there are many priests who tell me this, they just don't do well at receiving enough. So what they mean by that is, is God's love, <laughs> um, listening to us or, or hearing us, but really what's underneath that, and this gets to the heart of our conversation, is that for many priests, they struggle with prayer because they have become so busy. Mark, I have heard it again and again for many priests in recent years and, and even <laughs> in recent months um, that they have just, things have dried up for them, right? And they have shared with me openly that they have stopped being a man of prayer. So this call we have during the first year of the Eucharistic Revival to pray for our priests, uh, let that be uh, your conviction. Because we have to understand for all of our discussion on the Eucharist, no priest, no Eucharist, right? We probably heard it 101 times. And moreover, <laughs> When there is a lack of holiness in the priesthood, what we're seeing more and more is a priest wanting to leave his priesthood, right? This is a reality. And so to be able to pray for our priests is an extraordinary gift. I mean, Mark, we spent a whole year talking about this. Exactly. (laughs) Indirectly, if not directly, that God does not need our prayers to act, but he chooses to use our prayers to act. God has desired ends and chosen means. And one of those means is this call we have to pray. Pray our brothers and sisters in in Christ into heaven and our priests into heaven. And that prayer needs to be filled with the spirit of faith. This is why we ourselves need to make sure that we're doing what we need to do, that we might help our priests. As again, director of a program that deals directly with this, Mark, I can that the priesthood right now for many priests, and it's not 2%, 3%, 5%. It's a growing percentage. Granted, there's many holy, joy-filled priests. Don't get me wrong. And you and I both know quite a few of them, right? And I love it. But there's a lot of priests that are struggling. If Here, and, and, I that, Mark. I mean, All right. I think he's back now. What and Joe, you, you've just you just cut out for a minute, so I'm going to jump in. Um, I would, and I, I think it's important to emphasize that yes, there are so many priests that are joyful and they are in good space, and we need we need to recognize that. Um, I'm mindful one of the pieces within the Eucharistic revival, Joe, is uh, the the Eucharistic preachers, and so within the Real Presence Radio Network, and I know I think this has been shared before, but worth offering again. We're so blessed within the RPR network area of the priests who are 
um, Eucharistic preachers. So within our own network, we have Father Craig Vosick, Father Scott Trainer, Father Craig Vosick from the Diocese of Crookston, Father Scott Trainer from the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Um, also from the Diocese of Sioux Falls is Father James Mason, um, who uh, he was he was serving as rector for the seminary in St. Louis and has come back to Sioux Falls at the, one of the parishes there. And then also um, we have Monsignor Shea from the University of Mary. These are four priests who within our network that are Eucharistic preachers. Um, and part of that is really they're tying in the very things that you and I are talking about, Joe. They're tying yeah. in this call to conversion, uh, a deeper faith, renewal of faith, renewal of trust, a renewal of devotion in Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Um, and it's, I think maybe worth noting too, um, another preacher that, uh, Eucharistic preacher that's near our area and spending more time within our network because of an office he's bringing to the Rapid City area, Rapid City, is Father Spitzer uh, from Spitzer's Universe. Uh, certainly EW10 family has come to know him pretty well. Uh, Father Robert Spitzer spending more time there. So we're so blessed in our area, and I'm sure true to the same in the Ohio area, Joe, uh, some of these Eucharistic preachers that are there, and, and there are a lot of names that are familiar with uh, not only the Real Presence Radio family, but the EWTN family, a lot of these preachers. And so we're, we're very blessed in that way. And certainly mm-hmm. um, those uh, these men are men, not that they are without struggle, uh, but they they do offer uh, great witness, not not least of which to just the gift of preaching that these men have. Um, but just it, it's a reminder for us, uh, was what we've been saying, to pray for our priests and bishops um, and to come to them. And Joe, just a, a quick story, because I do want to get into our saint before we run out of time. Um, just what it does for you and I as as dads, as fathers, mm-hmm. because these are our spiritual yeah. fathers. And so I know when I think of my kids, I have six kids, um, and over the years, what it has done for me when I know they are praying for me. So years ago, I think of a story, and I, I can think of a story as recent as last week, um, but I, what stands out to me at this time, years ago, uh, when I was a youth minister, I was spending, I, I knew I was going to spend a weekend that was pretty much away from the family through much of the weekend because I was uh, doing a retreat I was working with the community of Franciscan Friars of the Renewal to do a retreat called Youth 2000. They were coming to my parish, but it was something that our parish was doing for the area. Um, so in, in drawing young people from North Dakota and Minnesota, Northwest Minnesota. And so it took a lot of time. And at that time we just had uh, Thomas and Luke. We just had the two older ones. Meredith was pregnant with David. Um, we may have just had David, um, don't ask me. <laughs> I don't quote me on that. But essentially, Joe uh, Thomas, at three or four years old, uh, Lord of the Rings had. Um, I think the first one had just come out, and so he drew a picture of Legolas shooting arrows at orcs, right? Hmm. But then, in he drew a picture, and in it he said, "Dad, I'm praying for you," uh, and it had a message very similar to, uh, "I'm praying for you." The angels are gonna are gonna beat uh, the devil, you know. And of course, the visual he had from Lord of the Rings, yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly the spiritual significance of it. Yeah. Yep. And yep. I, Joe, I remember. Maybe I was a little more emotional. I could have been tired. It didn't matter. I was definitely brought to tears when I was mm. able to see that to know because I was missing, 
you know, I knew I was missing them. Uh, and so to know that they were praying for me and in their own childlike way, there's a kind of understanding, huge gift. It was a huge gift. And, um, it, it renewed me in that way, refreshed me, not only as, as a father and as a husband, but as a, as a man who's involved in ministry. Yeah. And that speaks beautifully, Mark, into, um, you know, the experience of being loved, right? Being loved by our own. Uh, I, I, there have been times where I've gone to, to give a talk or something like that. And, and even as I've done it more recently, you know, my older one saying, Hey dad, I'm going to pray for you. It's, it's, it's deeply moving. And again, bringing this back to the priesthood, Mark, how important is it that we are praying for our priests, that our prayers might be that arrow. <laughs> right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. To assist the priest, because that's the reality. And I don't know how much of uh, how much time was lost or how, how much I was cut off there earlier. But where I was going with all that, Mark, was, was that point in the end, is that the priests are target numero uno uh, because of the Eucharist. And this is why we need to be praying for them. Um, that they might go deeper in their own prayer life and ultimately become the man that, that God is calling them to be. And oh, by the way, I could not say it enough. Let the priests know that you're praying for them. Invite them over for dinner. Um, be be someone in your local community that's making a difference for your priest. Amen to that, Joe. And I, I, I'm going to use that to segue. Um, and a, a young person who is our saint of the week, our, our saint for this program, blessed Carlo Acutis. Okay, so he's not a saint yet. <laughs> I could hear those saying, he's not a saint. He's a beatified. Well, uh, <laughs> blessed Carlo Acutis. And I just want to share a couple of uh, pieces of inf- information. He has definitely been made popular, Joe, through the Eucharistic revival. He, um, this name has, is being made known. Thanks be to God, because uh, we have an intercessor, uh, a recent intercessor. Carlo Acutis was born May 3rd, 1991 in London, where his parents were working just a few minutes later, uh, they moved to Milan, uh, Milan, Italy. And as a teenager, Carlo was diagnosed with leukemia. So he offered, he offered his sufferings for Pope Benedict XVI, um, who I note Pope Benedict is known for saying, without our priests, there is no Eucharist. With no Eucharist, there is no church. And so this is ties right into what we're getting at, Joe. Um, blessed Carlo Cutis, a couple of <clears throat> excuse me, facts about him. Young age, Carlos seemed to have a special love for God, even though his parents were not especially devout. His mom uh, had said and shared before Carlos, she went to Mass only for her first communion and confirmation and her wedding. Uh, but as a young child, mm-hmm. she noted Carlo loved to pray the rosary. And so Carlos is just witnessing to his own mom. And after he made his first communion, he went to Mass as often as he could, almost every day, making holy hours frequently. Uh, he'd go to confession weekly, and he asked his parents to take him on pilgrimages. In particular, he was drawn to the Eucharist, and so he'd ask his parents, even though his parents were not regular mass goers early on, particularly he'd ask them, can you please take me to the places of the saints and to the sites of Eucharistic miracles, which is what I want to lead into a little bit for our next episode, Joe. Uh, I want to dive in a little bit to our Eucharistic miracles. A couple other pieces about Blessed Carlo. Uh, he was known for defending kids at school who got picked on, especially disabled kids. How cool is that? I love it. He's a little warrior. Uh, when a friend's, I say little, he's powerhouse. When a friend's parents were getting a divorce, Carlo made a special effort to include his friend in the acutest family life. 
inviting him over for dinner, inviting him just to hang out. Um, and this is, I think, too, one of those pieces, and maybe people know this, um, hanging out. Blessed to Carlo, um, he liked playing video games. And so he was considered a gamer. He had no problem being called a gamer. Um, it's, he even shared his preferred uh, system, if you will, is the PS2. I guess if you're a gamer, his his console of choice <laughs> was PlayStation. <laughs> pos- uh, so, um, which was released in 2000. So, I mean, and, but what he would do, Joe, and this is beautiful. Uh, while that was his game of choice, he recognized that he liked it and that he probably liked it too much. And so that he chose to limit himself to playing video games one hour a week. Hmm. My, my kids would have a hard time with that. Two minutes. <laughs> we don't even have video games, but they find a way to get games on their phones, uh, on, on our phones. And so um, I just find him incredibly uh, relevant. Uh, and what a gift for that. That the, And this is what the gifts of the saints are to us, Joe. We say it all the time. They make it, they, they show us what it is like to live a life of deep faith within our time mm. with all the things that are around us, whatever that is. Um, yeah. And so the blessed Carlo Cutis, there's so much we can um, share about him. I encourage our listeners. Um, if you Google blessed Carlo Cutis, you can fr- certainly find more information about him. Um, there's lots of great Catholic sites. Uh, a couple of quotes he's known for before we finish up today, Joe, one quote, and I love it. He says, our aim has to be the infinite and not the finite. The infinite is our homeland. We have always been expected in heaven. We have always been expected in heaven, he says. A 15-year-old is saying this. Mm. Um, and I love this other, other quote of his. All people are born as originals, but many die as photocopies. One minute. Mm. Wow, mm. Joe. Yeah, All that. people are born as originals, but many die as photocopies. Mm. Um. I, I, we have just uh, 30 seconds left, but I find that that's, that's a very potent quote. And I think something that we could uh, begin the end of our program today with Joe is all people are born as originals, but many die as photocopies. Um, this ties right into our conversation about our call to conversion. Um, any final thoughts, Joe? Conversion is to actualize who you are in the eyes of God. 15 seconds. Let's end with a a, a quick Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. This has been Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. Awaken comes to you every second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 7 a.m. Central with Mark and Dr. Joe Hallcraft. Want to listen to the show again? You can find the podcast any time of the day or night on our website at realpresenceradio.com slash awaken or on the Real Presence Radio app in the podcast section. Again, that's realpresenceradio.com slash awaken or in the free Real Presence Radio app. Be sure to join us again next time for more Awaken with Mark and Dr. Joe Hullcraft.